Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Break, break, break. Bulldog 7, this is Blue 1. Troops in contact. Coordinates to follow. Hey there, welcome to Warrior U. Join retired Special Forces Officer Bram Connolly as he explores resilience, mental toughness, high-performing habits and other aspects that are required to develop a warrior mindset. Warrior U, it's the performance edge. Today's podcast is with Kristen Shorten, the driving force behind the documentary series Voodoo Medicine. It's available to watch through the online subscription service with the Daily Telegraph. I think it's like 50 cents a day, um, and you can cancel your subscription after one month. So it's well worth doing just to watch it. Anyway, it seems more than appropriate that TACMED Australia is sponsoring today's episode. TACMED are committed to helping people save lives. Their aim is to provide the highest standard of emergency medical training and equipment to people who work in hazardous, austere, complex environments. And they know a thing or two about this subject as the founders were special operations medics in Afghanistan. TACMED stocks a large range of products, including arterial tourniquets or tourniquets, emergency bandages, IFACs, trauma kits, and accessories. TACMED also specializes in tactical and remote area medicine. So, you know, think oil search, mining, pastoralists, Anyone really who works out on the frontiers of civilization, these guys have got you covered. For listeners of Warrior U, TACMED is offering 10% of all web orders. And to claim this discount, visit www.tacmedaustralia.com.au and use the code WARRIOR18. Right, let's launch into this show. So Kristen Shorten is a journalist who has developed and produced the eight-part series about special forces medics called Voodoo Medicine. G'day, Kristen. Welcome to the Warrior You podcast. Good morning, Bram. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. What was the thing that hit home the hardest for you during the filming of Voodoo Medicine? Oh, there are a lot of moments, but um, probably a couple of the most intense or emotional were um, when one of the medics in the series, John Walter, was reunited with the parents of Sean McCarthy, who who he had treated mm. in the field in Afghanistan. Mm. Um, that was it was beautiful and moving and emotional all at the same time. So that was definitely one of them. But mm. just talking to the guys about their experiences, um, particularly treating Afghan civilians and Afghan children, was also yeah, it was also pretty heavy. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that. Saw, obviously, as a platoon commander over there with a special forces medic, I saw Nui treat 
you know, countless amounts of civilians that have been hurt through... In some instances, they were hurt because the Taliban had left IEDs for us. So that made it all... That compounded that even more, the, the fact that, you know, by virtue of the fact that we were there, those people were brought into harm's way and that would have been particularly tough, I think. Mm. I know, but it's not your fault. No. And I, I remember one day in particular where, you know, where a little kid came in with his foot all mangled and, and knew he treated him for about four or five hours while the rest of us were getting rest, you know, in, in the heat of the day and knew he's out there treating some some kid. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough job. Yeah, um, pretty gruesome some of, and horrific some of the injuries that the civilians did sustain because, yeah, I've seen a lot of images of them and, um, yeah, it's just horrific. Like, mm. you know, legs, obviously, like mangled legs and feet from standing on the IEDs, but also just um, a lot of the other treatments that they provided as a result of the Afghan people not having access to medical care. So, you know, something that would be nipped in the bud or treated really quickly here in Australia when it's left to, I guess, just worsen or when it's left untreated over a number of months, then, you know, you've got a child who might have had like a scratch or, you know, broken um, a bone in their arm suddenly has to have their arm amputated. Mm. Like it's just, yeah, like, yeah, it's just really sad. That's an awesome point, the fact that we have this amazing healthcare system that we probably don't even know anything about. And then in Afghanistan, they don't have that. And then you've got these medics, not just the special forces medics, but all of our medics just going around the country, basically propping up almost or fixing the result of not having that healthcare system. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it makes their job lot, all the harder. Exactly, yeah. There were lots of stories that I heard about um, just treatments that they were providing to civilians who had just um, been left untreated for months because they live so remotely and don't have the access to that care. So, mm. um, yeah, that's another aspect of it as well. Mm. So where did the inspiration come from to do, you know, to develop this project? So definitely my husband, who was a commando with you at 2nd Commando Regiment, and our friends in the Special Forces community, including um, another medic, Smiley Billings, who was a commando qualified medic, which is quite rare. Um, and and I must say, I deployed with Smiley and he is a legend. He's actually well revered and one of those guys who, anyway, I could talk about him for absolutely hours. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the the sense that I was getting or the inspiration was from these guys who had deployed and faced a lot of trauma but who were really strong, resilient and well-adjusted and coping quite well upon return. So mm. um, just using my husband as an example, he's the most resilient person I know and, you know, thankfully he hasn't had any mental health issues as a result of the trauma he faced in Afghanistan or his deployments or service. So I guess I knew I, I got the sense from this community that there were a lot of people who were actually similar to him and doing really well. So I wanted to explore that and just to, again, then just to kind of drill down a little bit further, I thought, well, the best group of people to look at would be those who have faced the most trauma in Afghanistan and mm. it became apparent that that would be the medics who were serving with special forces. So I thought, well, it was an amazing opportunity to not only examine this incredible group of specialist medical soldiers who faced arguably the most horrific trauma in Afghanistan, but also to give them some credit and acknowledgement for mm. the work that they've done over there. Because um, as I started doing my research, I could see that nothing had ever been 
done on them before. There was no mm. reporting. There was no documentaries made about them. There was sort of nothing on this group of guys. So I thought, let's explore the themes of resilience and post-traumatic growth among those who have actually faced the most trauma. There's so many things to unpack in what you just said then. Obviously, you knew you were onto something special, you know, and that would take a, a journalist, I guess, of, of someone of your background to look at it and go, well, this is a really interesting story that no one's even thought of. But then you've got the whole resilience piece to it. And you know my positions on on PTSD and separation anxiety disorder and all and all that sort of all that sort of stuff. And we, we will talk about that in some more um, detail. I think it's today, which is this is released on the twenty eighth of the night of the twenty eighth of October, so the day of the twenty ninth of October. So in the Daily Telegraph today it's, you start to actually look at some of that as well, don't you, the, the, that part of the series? So, yeah, part seven of Voodoo Medics will drop Sunday night a couple of hours before this podcast does. And what that episode is exploring is not just the transition from the military to civilian life but also the narrative that mm. um, is quite common in society about what happens to veterans when they discharge. Mm. So I'm looking at how this group of guys, including the operators featured in the documentary, so yourself and Mark Donaldson, mm. and also Commando Chad Elliott, who's involved as well, who who is a casualty who was shot by the Taliban but treated by one of the medics in the doco. Mm. I'm looking at how you guys have discharged in a way that's um, positive and productive but also rejected that narrative that you are victims mm. as a result of your military service and how you guys have really just, um, you know, I guess taken control of that transition and your future after, mm. I guess, after the military. Yeah, people who listen and listen to my podcast or, or read you know, things are right, social commentary, know that I'm on my own sort of journey of trying to understand that. And at first I was very skeptical of most people with PTSD, then started to have a little bit of growth myself and look at it and go, well, hang on a second. There's obviously something going on here. People are finding it tough. I shouldn't, you know, stigmatize people. You know, I'm a veteran beware veteran almost, you know. Um, now I look at it in a different way. I sort of feel like um, some people get out and they feel like, you know, some people have been through some tough things, feel like they're owed something. So they they have this separation going on, this, this sort of anxiety from being separated from an institution. And then what they do is they, I think what happens is they, they start to look at, well, perhaps I've got PTSD. And then they start to go down this this road of um, identifying with the characteristics of PTSD, talking to healthcare professionals who reinforce the fact they've got PTSD. They're looking over their shoulder the whole time about PTSD. And the next thing they've let it define themselves for the rest of their lives. For me, I got out and I was like, fuck, I'm a mess. Why am I such a mess? Oh, I'm a mess because I'm no longer Major Connolly with this awesome bunch of cool dudes that I can I can every day test my leadership skills on who forever present me with really tough challenges but at the end of the end of the day they always had my back and suddenly I'm not that guy anymore and I'm like oh my god I need to redefine myself because I'm depressed completely different That's right but mm. it's natural to feel I guess some Sadness. down or mm. or a sense of depression mm. when you are transitioning because it's such a big adjustment mm. just mm like you know becoming a parent or you know so many things in life even for people leaving you know a long-term career in the mm. private sector it is natural to sort of have that loss of identity and yeah, and, yeah just have some adjustment yeah. issues i think and it's a lot easier for me to to adjust because the as a commander the things that i saw or the things that i had to do 
I was ready for that. Whereas I think some people go over there and suddenly they're thrust into a position or they're thrust into a situation that they haven't visualized, they haven't trained for. And then, and then that becomes all confronting and they relive it and relive it and relive it. And that, yeah, and that's terrible, I think. So, yeah, yeah so that, I've changed my position on it. Yeah, that's sort of similar to um, that kind of mm. r- reminds me of what Dono was saying in the documentary, so Mark Donaldson, um, about, you know, being at peace with what he would face in Afghanistan. Yeah, and um, 100%. Mm. Yeah, because he had had some tragedy in mm. his personal life as mm. a teenager with the loss of his parents, you know, he was already quite resilient and, and prepared for, mm. you know, mentally prepared for the trauma that he would face in Afghanistan, that, you know, his mm. mates might get wounded, that he might get wounded, that some of his um, comrades might die. And that put him, yeah, put him in good yeah. stead for that. So, yeah. yeah, but just coming back to the discharge, um, with everyone involved in the documentary, I mean, I think most of most of these medics, despite how resilient they are, um, and, and everyone, in, yourself included, had some sort of struggles upon discharge. So it's not to say that mm. um, discharge was easy or seamless for them either, mm. but it, it was all about, and they all had setbacks, mind you, too, when they got out, mm. but it was all about how they dealt with those setbacks and moved forward. Yeah. So how has it been received, the whole project? Oh, <laughs> phenomenally. Yeah. Yeah, it's exceeded all expectations. I mean... I obviously always believed that it was going to be amazing. I knew that, you know, I had this incredible group of guys involved, two of the most decorated medics in Australia of the modern diggers. Yeah. Um, so having yourself involved, having Mark Donaldson involved. Oh, I don't um, mind having I don't mind having my name, you know, next to a VC winner. It's pretty <laughs> I have to pinch myself sometimes because that I mean, obviously that that recognition of the Victoria Cross means so much to the Australian public and to know someone, you know, Mark and I don't know each other as friends or anything like that, but I was there. I was the operations officer for the commando unit the night that that action took place. So I was in Afghanistan when someone did an action that was then awarded the Victoria Cross. And I think the other night I was sitting, you know, I was sitting out the back by the by the pool with the kids running around and and I got a message from Mark, you know, just about this and I sent something back and then I'm like, that's such an amazing thing that I'm actually talking to a Victoria Cross winner. (laughs) And he's so good uh, with understanding what that recognition means and espousing, espousing that. And I think, I think that absolutely comes through in the, in the documentary and the way that he talks about the medics and he lets, he, he puts his weight in on it. And you, and so now you're seeing this from a Victoria Cross recipient, his perspective. That means a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And Donna is so kind just talking about, you know, the Mm. emails that we were sending the other Mm. night or um, anything like that, you know, yeah, he's so kind and generous with his time and his support, and mm. he has been an incredible support to me mm. and the medics involved in this project. So, um, yeah, like I'm forever grateful to mm. him for that. And, um, yeah, so, yeah, in regards to the reception of it, though, um, yeah, it's been phenomenal. And, mm. yeah, like I was saying, I always believed and had faith in, like I always had faith in the project, obviously, and was confident mm. that it would be amazing given that, such an, an incredible group of um, veterans are involved. It was probably just convincing everyone else it was going to be amazing. So yeah. it's been a roller coaster journey, but you know yeah. it's all paid off in the end. And now to see, yeah, the like just phenomenal reception it's getting. Everyone involved um, is happy. 
mm. with the end product, which was my always my main concern. Yeah. And just to see that that the documentary is being, um, you know, consumed by by you know the veteran community and also the wider mm. public is yeah and just it's available. So yeah. It's available through Daily Telegraph, but it's it's subscription only yeah. at this point. Digital subscription, yeah. Digital so subscription. It's the Daily Telegraph funded it, and yeah. you know this this type of journalism does cost a lot of money to make. Yeah. Um. So to watch the eight parts, you do have to subscribe to thedailytelegraph.com.au. So it's not a newspaper mm. subscription. You're not going to get a paper chucked on your lawn every morning or anything, mm. but it means that you can access all of their digital content. And mm. actually um, the digital content of other News Corp mastheads around the country as well. Mm. So it's 50 cents a day. I know people feel like it should be free and, you know, I've heard that feedback, but... Um, well, yeah, but I mean, like I, should but everything... Like I said, that's ridiculous. you know, it costs a lot to make yeah. and... People will pay yeah. a fifteen buck subscription to yeah. Netflix. This is sort of no different. Oh yeah, I fully get that. Like this, this podcast wouldn't exist if it wasn't for, you know, Aussie Strength and Sword and TACMED, I might add, who all awesome. yeah, all those guys, you know, provide me with with a certain amount of funding to do all the editing and everything. And you could just couldn't. I mean, and for a journalist like yourself, you can't spend all that time and effort and then not anyway. Um, the first day, the, sorry, I'm going on a rant. The first day, <laughs> I'm led to believe that the number of subscriptions was off the charts. Yeah, yeah, this is incredible um, and just a huge relief. Hmm. So, yeah, on the first day that Voodoo Medics launched, it did break some records at News Corp in terms of wow. subscription numbers, um, which for me is a relief, but at the same time, I was never worried mm. about subscriptions or mm. I guess the daily tellies analytics whenever my concern, you know, for me, my, my form, you know, first and foremost concern was always the guys involved in the doco that they were happy and comfortable with their end product and that they were proud of it. Mm. Um, yeah. But in saying that the editor of the daily telly, Chris Dorr, who actually yesterday Friday was his last day. He's just been promoted to editor-in-chief of The Australian. But Oh, wow. Um, yeah. They don't so want to fund a podcast, the, do they? <laughs> anyway. The, the timing um, was yeah. actually very mm. fortunate. Like I'm just mm. lucky he was still there until yeah. almost the end. But, um, you know, I pitched this to him back in February mm. and he gave me the green light for it. He commissioned it and it was actually a huge risk and gamble on his part. Wow. You know, the, the telly and News Corp had never spent this sort of money on journalism before, let alone paid a freelancer mm. or, you know, external an external video crew. So um, it was a huge gamble on his part. He's an extraordinary, brilliant editor and the best I've ever worked with. So, you know, he trusted me. Mm. He had faith in the project. He just got it when I explained it to him and he gave me the green light to proceed with it. So just um, for his sake i'm relieved that it did well in terms of analytics and subscriptions yeah and and that rattles the the sort of old establishment a little bit doesn't it to go out and i'm i'm very careful here because i know that australian <laughs> media is a tough thing to navigate but yes i think that shows amazing vision yes he's visionary yeah. but to go back to the medics so yes they are pretty special dudes aren't they the special forces medics and the wider general medics across the whole army 
but the special forces medics you must have been spending a bit of time with them you must have seen the same sort of thing that i saw you know in and out of afghanistan is just the caliber of person that you're, you're dealing with absolutely they're incredible and um not just incredible professionally you know in their roles and in their new roles now post-military but just um yeah just quality people like just um really inspirational motivated driven successful people you know in their post-military they're all doing things with their lives that um you know a meaningful purposeful interesting and yeah just just a great group of guys mm, yeah you had to be very sensitive you know with the families obviously was there a was there a point where you maybe you felt like you wish you hadn't started like when you were around the families and 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 then the, there must have been some raw emotion with some of it with sean and rowan's family do for, you mean for instance yeah or perhaps any of the yeah medics as well mm. yeah no i never had any um regrets or mm. hesitation about interviewing them you know i felt very just honored and grateful to them mm. for being involved mm. and for sharing their stories about their sons but you know they did that to support the medics who treated their sons it wasn't about them or telling their story or their son's story it was all about giving the medics Mm. thanks for the job that they'd done and also just reassuring the medics Mm. that the parents knew that the medics had done everything they could to save their son's life Mm. and it was for them just um a part of trying to help the medics move on from those traumatic events yeah yeah, I understand that completely, and I think that's you know really selfless of of the parents to to support you know dare I say the living you know and those people who were yes. in that position. Um, one of the one of the aspects to the whole special forces medic um, being within the platoon is that it gives a leader the opportunity to ask everyone else to do things that you know you wouldn't necessarily ask them to do. So, for instance, I'm going to put you in harm's way deliberately to, to chase after this target, but I'm going to bring Newey with us. So, so that's my guarantee that within the platinum 10 minutes and then the golden hour, I can, I can look after you. And, so, and I know that you've quoted me you know, inside the documentary, but for me, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee that as a as a leader and as an Australian, I'm not going to leave you behind. And if something does happen to you, I'm going to 100% try and make sure I can fix it. And it was amazing how we would almost pay off the medic, but we all it was always in the back of our minds that he was there. And whenever I would hear over the radio, got a, a WIA, the, the first thing, or wounded in action, first thing I would think of is, where's the medic? Where have I got the medic? It was usually Newey telling me where he had to be on the battlefield before it. That you know, it's one of those little things. You know, he would tell me where he should be to support that operation, and I would just, I would just do it. I wouldn't even think twice about having him in that spot. I guess there wasn't really a question there. It was just more of a statement. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting, it an interesting aspect. Anecdote, to it. yeah. Yeah, and and probably something that you know any young platoon commanders that might be listening to this would have to you know would really have to think about their planning prior to an operation and and getting that bit right and understanding that that medic you know means so much more than just you know someone who's going to look at your feet and uh <laughs> you know fight for infection stuff in the jungle that guy's actually you know intimately involved in in the contract that you have with your platoon um there's so many stories though and I'm sure that there was heaps that didn't make the cut. I can't help feel, though, that Australia's lost much of its history from Afghanistan. 
like a lot of these stories are just forgotten and they would have been forgotten even more if you hadn't have raised some of them. Yeah, thanks. Um, an interesting outcome from this is that the Australian War Memorial has reached out and asked to have the documentary included in their official account of Afghanistan. So so that's great. It really is appropriate because, you know, the documentary isn't a media beat up. It's not exaggerated. It's all factual. So, um, yeah, so that's quite, yeah, just, you know, I feel like honoured that they would reach out and ask that. And I know that I know most of the battles that, you know, 4RAR Commando and then 2nd Commando Regiment were involved in, and I know that most of the population doesn't know anything about these you know and yes. I, I wonder yeah. where what's going to happen i mean there's people like you know the platoon commanders that were there and the sergeants and the and, and you know the soldiers that were there they know the stories but they're just time is just fading and they're disappearing out of our history because we haven't we haven't sat down and chronologically gone through it probably there's probably a couple of books out there that are that you know are close but we really haven't captured those those battles and some of the more significant ones are just disappearing yeah that's right and also um you know like with the battle of zabat calais which you were involved in um which you were involved in but then also in the documentary spoke about in regards to newey's role at that event mm. i mean they could we could make a whole documentary on that mm. um you know i would have loved to have gone into that further but obviously i was sort of focusing very specifically on the medics role Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite that event mm. but yeah events like that you're mm. right um there's just not enough about them no they're just disappearing I, i've wanted to ask you this because of you know you're this sort of powerhouse bouncing from thing to thing to thing and then i get a message from you followed by an email followed by a dropbox something or other and then the next thing i know <laughs> there's something out in the media how hard has it been juggling all of your commitments and i know you have a, a two-year-old daughter and a husband who works full-time as well and you're a you know a, a contract journalist or you know so how <laughs> Sounds like I'm a contract killer yeah. or something. How hard has it been to juggle it all? It's been incredibly challenging, to be honest, but mm. worth it. So mainly um, just due to the logistics of where we live. And um, mm. so, as you know, like Brady's a police officer now and we live in a very remote community mm. in the Northern Territory. So um, it has been incredibly difficult by virtue of that. Where mm. we live is very remote, so logistically getting anywhere takes days and we don't have any childcare for our two-year-old she's almost three so we really just juggle that between us so um you know for the last I guess four months have been quite intense Brady and I have just been juggling Matilda um and our daughter Matilda and Mm. yeah leaning on the grandparents a little bit so it has been hard but in saying that it's been worth it I'm not complaining at all Mm. um it's been absolutely worth it because um, this project has been like another baby for me and I've been, um, you know, hands-on in every aspect and very much a control freak about it, wanting it to be perfect. So, um, yeah, so I'm not complaining. It just, um, yeah, um, means that um, I'll have to manage my workload <laughs> a little yeah. bit better in future. <laughs> and so you'll, you'll take a step back when this is all finished and what will, what will the 
what will you be the most proud of from the last you know six month journey yeah I'm most proud of the documentary which is the centerpiece of the project I mean there have been there are a lot of elements within this food and medic project you know we've got the documentary then we've got all of the um print stories in all of the newspapers um primarily the daily telegraph so there's been a lot of writing involved. There's also the podcast, which we'll, we're releasing next week, the Voodoo Metrics podcast, in which, yeah, we will be able to um, hear a little bit more about some of those battles and incidents that mm. you guys are all involved in um, and all of the digital assets that go with it. Um, but, you know, the documentary is the centrepiece. That was the, mm. the main, um, yeah, the key part of the project. Yeah. And you said before, you know, and I obviously know this, but you said before that um, your husband, Brady, was a commando. And, yes, he and, was, yeah. And you've known him a long time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you were, you were together as a couple on one of his deployments. So how did you cope with that? I don't want it to sound cold or callous, but actually fine. So, yeah, we've been mates since we were 13, but we got together uh, seven years ago um, as adults and yeah he was still deploying after that and I I was completely fine look we by that point in our lives we both had our own you know successful careers I had a really demanding job at News Corp um, at that time so we just really you know made the most of the time that we had together and then mm. we could both kind of be selfish with our careers and focus on the jobs when we were apart so um, even after um, he, his deployments, when he discharged from the military, then he did some security contracting in Afghanistan for a couple of years. And he was away eight months of the year, you know, two months on, one month off. Mm. And it just really worked for us. Mm. Like like I said, you know, I had a really full and rich professional and social life. When he was home, it was amazing and we had a rad time and, um you know, had really good quality time together and it was exciting and fun and we'd socialise or travel or whatever. Mm. But um, I never had any issues with him going away. Obviously, mm. you know, I missed him, but I was never lonely or bored or any of those sorts of things. So there's there's that aspect to it. And I know a lot of the partners sort of feel the same way. They become very resilient themselves, um, yeah. you know, in that. And they and they, they have those rich social lives and, and it's, Sometimes it's tough when the partner comes back, but there's an added dimension to what what you would have experienced because you were in the news industry and any time anything would happen in Afghanistan or, or you know, even when, when Brady was a contractor, you're almost the first to find out that there's something yeah. that's happened. And that must have been, you know, a shadow that was sort of like lurking behind you a fair bit that any day something could come on in the news. and Yeah, for sure. Like I was always across um, any news coming in from the overseas wires agencies and on Twitter and all of those things. So I would definitely hear about things straight away. But in most cases I'd heard from Brady first or mm. um, I was never really worried because I always knew, for, well, particularly, you know, when he was in the military, I knew that um, SOCOM would contact me mm. before it hit the news and things like that. So, mm. and it's one of those things you kind of can't waste energy worrying about things that you can't control. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, look, it worked for us and, you know, I missed him, but um, mm. I was fine. Yeah. I, I, you know, and the reason I ask you that is there, there was a time there in back in the unit where we would have the, the wives and girlfriends and partners come out for, 
family know, day family day and the yeah. the major would stand in front of them and talk to them about the processes and the, and everything that would occur if something would happen overseas and I, I remember looking at some of their faces and just understanding that suddenly the gravity of that especially the new partners the gravity of it hit home you know of how yeah, yeah and it was a but there's a certain resiliency that the wives and partners had that I don't think is publicly known you know they they build these groups and they you know there's your next uh you know <laughs> series um because they do do an amazing job and it is it is very difficult especially when you're talking about some of the you know some of the wives that have three kids and you know they're yeah. doing they're doing everything and then the husband comes home yeah. and the husband say i don't really know what to do now you know? i know it's hard for them to readjust back mm. to family and domestic life yeah um yeah, well, in saying that, I didn't have any children at the time. So mm. I was completely mm. selfish in that regards that yeah. I could just focus on my work. So, and the job was similar in some ways mm. to it's that immersive. of the jobs you guys had in that, you know, it was very unpredictable and I'd often be traveling at short notice and it was very demanding and you sort of wouldn't know when you're coming home and yeah. all of that kind of thing. So I was able to just kind of be selfish with my career when Brady was away. Yeah. Yeah. Dan Pronk and, and Mark Donaldson, they're probably two of the most grounded people that you could ever meet yeah for and sure. they they both talk about traumatic growth there's something to that isn't there absolutely yeah, yeah. like everyone i think in the documentary has experienced post-traumatic growth to a degree and that is where you know you face a really traumatic situation or a life crisis and perhaps not immediately but ultimately you actually grow as a result of that and become a better person and that could in- include things, you know, as simple as just having a newfound appreciation for life for your mm. loved ones. Um, it could be, you know, finding a deeper sense of spirituality, deepening your relationships, or, you know, just excelling in a new area in your life. So I think it, it's actually quite common um, when you think about it, but it's just looking, I guess, from the perspective of the documentary, I just wanted to shine a light on it because, PTSD is not the only outcome mm. of military service. And also you can have PTSD but then grow. Um, mm. And that that was evident in someone like Commando Chad Elliott, who's yeah. in the documentary. He was shot on his uh, – you, you were over there at the time actually, so you're probably better better um, qualified to explain this than mm. me, but he was shot on his second deployment um, and then mm. tried to go back a third time. And, you know, he was medically discharged and diagnosed mm. with PTSD, but, you know, he still has – has his moments yeah. and bad days. And I know he wouldn't mind me saying that because he said it yeah. in the doco. Um, oh, he's one but- of the bravest people I've ever met. And the reason I say that is, first of all, his first and second tours were people who talk about his first tour say that he just did everything that was asked of him and he's he's a warrior. His second tour, he woke up in Germany. Like, yeah. you know, so it's not like, it's not like he was just, you know, injured a little bit. Like he was No. He, it was he a horrific was, gunshot wound. Yeah, and he and he tried to fight and he tried to stand up and he tried to keep going. In fact, yeah. I think he was trying to fight while they were patching him up. And then yes. he and then they put him out and then he woke up in Germany. So to put it into perspective, I was the operations officer for the company, for Alpha Company, where he went back in two thousand and uh, let me get this right, 2008. Yeah, for a ro- third trip. Rotation 7. Yep. And he did all the lead-up training with us and there was no signs that anything was wrong. He was just a warrior. He he deployed with us. There was no sign that anything was wrong. And we got to the... It was the night that we were rolling out the gate. All the vehicles were lined up. It was like it was go time and it was going it was going to be messy. And, and, and he just 
walked up to the uh, the officer in charge and said, I, I don't think I can do this. And I remember sitting down and talking to him. I stayed behind the, the, the commando unit left and it was you could see it was the hardest decision he'd ever made in his life and so incredibly brave because the last time he went outside that gate, he woke up in Germany. And you can't yes. even understand the fear he must have been, you know, keeping a close lid on for over a year and For so sure. yeah. or you know or whether it just hit him at that moment like he just yeah. suddenly realized he wasn't physically or mentally up for it but yeah. the other part of that is just his well, perhaps, um yeah. selflessness because mm. i guess most people would probably want to just continue on and see how they go but he actually realized and recognized that he couldn't hold up yeah. his end of the deal if mm. someone if you know she got real out there so mm. he just realized that well i'm not a reliable teammate mm. To, to the mm. others mm. and I'm actually probably a liability so yeah. I won't go. There wasn't there was not a word spoken about it and there certainly wasn't a negative word ever spoken about that, you know, from anyone in that unit. I mean we did the whole tour over there. We came back and Chad was no longer I think he was he was either discharged or he was on leave. So we didn't see him. And it was you know, it was a it was a really difficult thing for everyone involved. But I know the guys, you know, hundred percent you know, love Chad and, you know, and I hope that he understands that. Mm. He, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's great. It will be great for him to hear that because mm. I think his biggest fear in life has just been like losing respect of, of mm. you guys and the guys he deployed with. So. Mm. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he's going to be a uh, black belt and BJJ soon, so I'm not going <laughs> to say anything. But, um, yeah, he will. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, he was a, he's a testament to that commando spirit i think anyway and the fact that he would he just kept fighting and then and he's still fighting now he's a fighter he's a warrior um and dan dan pronk you know who was commando and sas doctor deployed yeah you know if if he doesn't embody the modern spirit modern anzac spirit then i don't know what does (laughs) you know i know and dan's like a bit of everything rolled into one like he's such an interesting character that he is yeah, he's not just that army doctor. He's also yeah. like that, you know, fighter, like an operator on the yeah. ground. He did mm. SAS selection, you know, unfortunately due to timing and other influences, he didn't get to do the reinforcement cycle and get very mm. qualified over there. But mm. um, for all intents and purposes, it's like he, he mm. successfully completed the selection. So that says so much about him, on you know, mm. in itself. And, mm. um, you know, he just like loved, you know, you can just see and hear when he tells the stories, you know, how much mm. he loved being on operations. He mm. loved being, you know, part operator, part doctor. Yeah. You know, and the other thing too is, and, and they won't mind me saying this, the doctors in, certainly the doctors in 2nd Commando Regiment, all of the doctors, and we had uh, Kieran Mac- uh, McCarthy, was it? Anyway, I'll check that. We, we had a, a host of these doctors who, just by virtue of the fact they were in that position, they were they were given legendary status. Yeah. Because these are non It's such a rare role. Unlike right? unlike Dan, a lot of these guys are non beret qualified RMOs and they are out there on the ground in the commando company with a with a rifle. That's not their primary role, but they're there. And they're yeah. walking in on target. They're walking at night on NVG behind the, the commando snake as we call it as you're creeping into a target. They're there. That's yes. a legendary thing. And they were all given that status. But Dan was almost a level above where, you know, he, he 
not only met that legendary status, but he did he carried out tasks that became as legendary. You know, he's he's and even in his civilian life now, it's like any, anything he touches works. Yeah, he is a rock star. Yeah, he is. Have and you seen his man cave? I've not. Oh. I've seen it on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> we sort of missed yeah. each other when I was in Adelaide when I lived there. We sort of he moved there after I left again. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm writing a story about it for Monday's paper. Oh, so cool. You'll have to check that out. I will. There's a lot of man cave envy. Yeah, I was I was impressed with all the medics. There's really of all the, all the medics that told their stories. Um, you know, so many stories and just getting on with the job really. Um, but the story of Brad and the little girl. Yeah. That actually broke me to the point where I had to stop it and get up and walk off. <laughs> um, yeah. It was really hard. To watch it. it must have been really hard to watch it while it was being filmed do you want to talk about that quickly yeah sure look i think um it perhaps caught brad off guard as well because mm. he hadn't talked about that mm. incident before so um what you're referring to is when i was interviewing brad about treating a little girl i think she was a five-year-old girl who had lost her leg from an ied she'd stepped on a landmine and and it actually injured her whole family. They they had all been brought in and mm. she was sort of the middle child of the three siblings. But um, everyone was really busy in the in the field hospital that day. It was, you know, obviously like resources are so, so thin on the ground. And um, it was a really busy day. There was a young US surgeon, um, a fairly new surgeon, looking after this little girl and Brad was looking after another patient next to her. But uh, she had a tourniquet on her leg and she was just sort of had enough blood circulating through her body to keep her alive when this uh, younger surgeon, US surgeon next to him, released the tourniquet to mm. check the bleed but then couldn't get it back on and she suddenly died and or bled out and died. I mean, the, everyone then shifted their focus to this little girl and spent I think it was about three hours trying to get her back. So they were doing blood transfusions from soldiers who were around and, Brad actually did a thoracotomy where mm. you crack crack the chest and massage the heart right. by hand mm. to try and get her heart pumping again. And um, they were just doing everything they could to try and save her and in the end they couldn't. And I think now for Brad as a father of two mm. children and a little girl mm. who has had her own um, health scare, she has brain cancer, mm. um, I think that it just really... Um, yeah, just really hit him when he was talking about it because at the time when the incident happened, he wasn't yet a parent. Mm. Um, now he is a parent. Mm. He hadn't ever talked about that before. And, um, you know, it was quite an intense and long interview and we'd already sort of been with Brad probably for about 24 hours by that point. So mm. he was probably also feeling quite um, just quite buggered. Mm. And um, so I think just a combination of all those factors really mm. um, kind of led to this emotional moment for him. Yeah. yeah. And I can, I can completely, I completely get that now. And just, I'm just going to talk briefly about um, Somalia. So if there's any veterans from Somalia listening, you might not want to listen to this or, you know, perhaps, perhaps a trigger warning. Um, we dealt with a lot of young starving kids over there, which, you know, as a 19-year-old, for me, I'd I'd pick him up, I'd put him in a, you know, put him in a bag and put the bag in the front of the APC splashboards, and it was just a job, and and I didn't really, it didn't really affect me at all, and for years I wondered why that was, and then I think 
you know, after we had my first son, I started to think about that some more and suddenly, you know, things that had happened nearly 20 years ago were like, oh God, that was emotional. And I didn't even realize it was emotional back then. But now I couldn't do it today. I'd be a wreck, <laughs> you know, but as a 19 year old, you're almost impervious to it. Exactly. Yeah. So I can't imagine what those, yeah, it was probably lucky that it was Brad without kids there that he was able to professionally carry that out. Because if he tried to do it now, I'd say it'd be a lot more difficult. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Most of these guys were sort of in their early to mid 20s mm. at, at the time mm. of their deployments and the experiences that we're now kind of exploring yeah. in the doco. So they have, you know, a different and more mature perspective on it. But um, yeah, I think with Brad, you know, the fact that he was so vulnerable mm. um, was a real sign of strength to me because the intent of the doco was never about being emotionless or, um, mm. you know, mm. being so stoic that you are unaffected yeah. on any on any level yeah. by these events or situations. So I think it just was a really powerful insight into the fact that you can be strong and resilient but also still emotionally affected by these events. Yeah, and I think um, that's show. I think I think that that for me you know embodies what the invictus games is about it's a it's mm. about that you know being honest with yourself and honest with those around you and yeah i've i've had issues or i've had problems whether that be physical or mental and i'm upfront about it and let's let's see who can win you know so that yeah and i think that as much as invictus embodies that i think this documentary embodies that as well thank you and just like one last thing on on that interview and mm. th- that footage of Brad breaking down too, I just have to really um, give credit to him because he obviously knew that we'd captured that and Mm. that as a journal I was likely to use it and he never once asked me Mm. not to use it. Mm. Um, And, you know, he just sort of trusted me and trusted the process and realised how important or powerful that moment was Mm. for the story overall. Mm. And, um, yeah, I just really respect respect him for that and appreciate that from him yeah i think it shows a lot of a lot of his character doesn't it yeah and, for sure yeah most yeah. people i think would say please don't use that so mm. um for him to just have that trust in me and allow yeah allow me to sort of um use my judgment mm. yeah it was I, really great i think he's probably yeah he was probably ready to that was t- it was tough to watch and i'm, but I'm yeah, glad was, i'm yeah. glad he yeah i'm glad that he yeah it was it was tough at the time and it was tough to watch yeah yeah. So where can people, if they want to see tonight's, today's 29th of October, I'm going to try and release this at the same time. Um, where, yeah. where can they jump on and subscribe to see it and how do they go through the process? Yeah. So you just need to jump on dailytelegraph.com.au. And um, when you go to the story, the Voodoo Medic story, which um, for the last week has always been the top story on the Daily Telegraph website, mm. the big one up the top. So you just click on that and then it will... Um, ask you to subscribe to actually consume that content so Mm. you can sign up um it's 50 cents a day i think the minimum is one month so Mm. you can cancel it after a month if if um you're not interested in yeah continuing to consume content that's not even Um, that's not even that's not even a coffee a week no it's 15 bucks for a month so it's nothing. Easy days. Do it, people. Yep. Yeah, do it. And then if you pick up a copy of the newspaper, if you want to read the print stories as well, they're all online. So you can access them all through that digital subscription. But if you do like to have a hard copy newspaper in your hands, just grab the Daily Telegraph or the News Corp paper in your state. So mm. the Advertiser or the Mercury or the Herald Sun or mm. Courier Mail, um, because they're running most of the stories as well. And mid next week, we'll be dropping a Voodoo Medic podcast where wow. yeah you 
Yeah, where it's going to knock me off number one ex- spot. Yeah, you can listen to extended interviews with <laughs> everyone involved. So, yeah. you know, the documentary um, cool. is very focused on the medics and we can't include everything from mm. all of the interviews in the documentary. There's just not space. But mm. it's really great that um, if you want to know more about the characters in the documentary, you can then listen to their podcast and um, learn about their story more in depth. That's cool. Um I should give a shout out to Jez because uh, TACMED is sponsoring today's episode. Thanks, um, Jez. How good's that? <laughs> That's perfect. Lined that up. Look at me Was lining that up. Was that not even like arranged, prearranged? I can neither confirm nor <laughs> deny, but um, great company, you know, which was started by Jez uh, and Dan, I think. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. And they are... Amazing. They are bringing... Yeah, they are honestly bringing training and support and products to emergency services and government, you know, organisations and, you know, that probably have not been thought of. And it's all it all comes from that experience that they've had in Afghanistan and that, that trauma care and that, you know, ability to triage on the run. So, yeah, it's a brilliant company and they're, they're doing really well. Thank you. And, Bren, just thank you for all of your support with this project. You've oh, been wow. incredible. Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate that. I don't get thanks very often. Well, thank you. Ah, cool. Yeah, it's, um, yeah it meant a lot. Mm. All right, Kristen, thank you so much. And I'm sitting here waiting for the next uh, episode to come out on Sunday night. So <laughs> My pleasure. Things. Sunday night yep. is part seven and Monday night is part eight. Cool, Leo. Thanks very much. Thanks, Bram. Hey, everyone. It's Bram Connolly here. Retired Special Forces Operator and Officer with over 20 years in the Australian Army. I want to tell you a little bit about the Warrior U program that forms the basis of the Warrior U website. The program has been designed to help anyone aspiring to join the Australian Defence Force. There's a tailored fitness program based on simple movements that ensures you get from zero to hero in the time frame that you have available. There's lessons on military skills and culture. Lessons are self-paced and there are quizzes to help reinforce the learning. Some of the topics include weapon types, navigation theory, survival, and there's fieldcraft lessons too, just to name a few. There's also a mental resilience block of training. The main aspect of the program though is the access to mentors who've either held positions within the Defence Force recruiting or recruit or officer instructors and even some Special Forces selection staff. So no matter what you want to do in the ADF, we have a mentor to assist and provide advice. There's a one-off payment of $99 for the complete program. Check out the website on www.warrioru.com.au. That's warrior and the letter U.